Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have the whole crew, starting with Andy. Hello. And Grace. Or am I? And Sue. Hi there. And before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. As usual, want to remind you that our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards like thanks on social media to silly watch-along commentaries. And if you're at the Spore Jump level, you will get episodes that are about non-Trek topics. The most recently one, or recorded one, was on The Good Place. Yep. So visit patreon.com slash womenatwarp. Uh, for more information and to pledge your support, that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash women at warp. Now, a couple of other pieces of housekeeping. First of all, Sue, do you want to talk about the RPN feed? Yeah, so you've heard us for the last, oh, two years, if not more, mention that we are a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, while the Roddenberry Podcast Network now has a master feed. So you can subscribe to that master feed and get every show on the network in one place. That's Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Priority One, Daily Star Trek News, The Trek Files, Shabam, and more to come. Uh, so you can find that master feed just by searching for Roddenberry in your favorite podcast catcher. Ooh. Another announcement is that we have a book club episode coming up, which means that we've selected a book that you can join us to discuss on Goodreads. The latest book that we've chosen is The Last Best Hope by Una McCormack. It's the first Picard tie-in novel, and it's out already, and you have until around March 22nd to finish reading it and to submit your comments in our Goodreads discussion group. So just look up Women at Warp at goodreads.com in the groups category and join us. And Grace, you are going to Emerald City Comic Con. That's right. Um, It's going from the... I want to say the 11th to the 15th. I will be paneling on March 13th. That's on Friday at 11 a.m. on Star Trek Infinite Diversity and Infinite Combinations. Ooh, awesome. Yeah. And finally, we want to remind you that we have a Women at Warp blog and are always seeking submissions from writers. So if you go to our website, womenatwarp.com, and click the Contribute tab, you'll find all the information on what kinds of Uh, blog posts we're looking for and how to get in touch with us. And we always love to hear from you and explore your uh, cool ideas of what you want to say about Star Trek. Finally, you can also support us by leaving a rating or review on podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So our main topic today is we are going to gender flip, bend, slash swap the next generation. Distort. Yes. Yes, warp. We are warping it. There you go. And uh, if you listen to our our show going way back, we did an episode called Does Lady Kirk Wear a Miniskirt, where we did this with the original series. And I want to just introduce a few important caveats before we start. First of all, totally acknowledge that the idea of gender swapping is something that's kind of debated because it can be reductive and imply that there are only two genders. Or the what we're trying to do with that is not to be reductive, and we're certainly not meaning to imply that there is a legitimate gender binary that is valid for all people. We're trying to use it in the subversive way that invites the audience to question why a particular gender was cast for a particular part, and what could have been different had a different choice been made. 
So that's our goal. And then we're also trying to keep in mind the time that the show is created. So when we're looking at alternate actors for some of these parts, we're looking at people who were prominent in the late 80s and early 90s. We're also looking at, you know, assuming the television landscape was roughly the same, that the creators were from roughly similar backgrounds, if not the same people, that this was going to be a cable show that was family friendly. So in that way, we're probably not going to get super outside of the like male or female identified actors and characters, but we're super, super excited that that's going to be a part of our discussions more going forward as we get into a time in the TV landscape where, and our, our like popular landscape where this was more uh, publicly acknowledged and discussed and to now where it is more embraced, although there is still a long way to go. Also, I, I feel like if we're talking like 80s, early to mid 90s, I'm not aware of any non-binary actors from that time. I'm sure that they were there and maybe not out, but I'm not aware of any, whereas now we're starting to see more actors step forward and identify as non-binary. So I feel like there's going to be a lot more to play with coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can also talk a little bit about like, you know, if we got to redo the whole thing, then which characters would have been awesome to be non-binary as more of just kind of an imaginative scenario, because this whole thing is meant to be fun and imaginative. So uh, let's dive right into it then. And uh, we'll start by talking about the center of the whole show, Captain Picard. So the way that I did this overall is I took each character and I wrote down what I thought were important traits for each of them. And then I tried to think of an actor that embodied those things that was either around during that time or old enough that even if they weren't established actor, they could have been. And so for Picard, I wrote French slash French adjacent. (laughs) (laughs) Because obviously the character is supposed to be French, but, um, I love Patrick Stewart dearly. He is not French, and he's uh, very clearly not French when he's speaking French. So I wanted to go with a French actress, if possible, or someone who at least had, I guess, a European sensibility, and then precise, thoughtful, and compassionate. And I landed on Kristen Scott Thomas, who is kind of like both French and English. Like, she stars in both cinematic worlds I guess and I just find her to be very elegant and stately and I feel like she could handle this role. So I think that's a really cool choice. I'm curious how you think that this role would read differently if it was populated by a woman. She would be considered more cold. (laughs) Especially (laughs) the hating kids part. I don't Mm. think you saw a lot on TV. Yes, definitely. Until recently. I think we're already starting to jump into some of the things that, that Next Gen tells us being opposite of what it shows us. Yeah. <laughs> right? We're, we're supposed to think of Picard as like this by the book, like rule following, honor, duty kind of leader. But like, he's actually really lenient with his crew and he's really compassionate. And when he like, takes the time to know individual children. He's very kind and warm with them. We find out later that, like, he actually would really love to have children, right? So it's 
what what we're supposed to think and what we're actually shown are sort of at a disconnect. That's true. But like, certainly he also changes and a lot of those like more softer traits, I guess, emerge later on. And at least like the uprightness uh, and stiffness of the character, I would say definitely more season one traits. And that would be kind of what would establish the character in the minds of the audience. And I think would be more challenging as we saw with Janeway and mm-hmm. some of the feedback that Janeway got, even though that was several years later. Yeah. And some one of the things we have for the next gen cast that we didn't really have when we did this with the original series is we have some of their original casting notices. Ooh. So, I mean, Picard is basically what you'd expect, although the name is Julian Picard, not Jean-Luc. Born in Paris, but the, the descriptors that that casting call gives are romantic and believes strongly in duty or in concepts like honor and duty. Hmm. Hmm. It's interesting that they used romantic. Yeah, that's not a word I would use to describe him. Like, I mean, it would be pretty far down the list in terms I would use to describe him. I've always thought that he is kind of surprisingly sensual. I mean, we talked a little bit during our live recording when we watched the new episode of Picard where he's wearing normal pajamas and I'm sad about it (laughs) because usually he's in his extremely um revealing (laughs) (laughs) revealing pajamas drinking wine like you know looking real sensual I would say the only one who could tap him in this area is Troy (laughs) well I mean, I when when I was thinking about casting, I didn't, you know, lean really much on the softer qualities, and I just went immediately to be Arthur. Ah! <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Be Arthur should be everyone. Like, <laughs> we, you know what? We're done. <laughs> We're just gonna put be Arthur in every single one of these categories and just go home. But. I think, Jerry, you were talking about the idea of having a woman captain who expressly says in the first episode, I don't like children. Mm-hmm. I think that an actor like B. Arthur, like a, an older woman who like has clearly, uh, who's, who's a little bit more gruff, is especially at that time in the late 80s, would be more likely to, quote, get away with that. Mm-hmm. Also, B. Arthur is awesome at being... Uh, you said gruff, grumpy, maybe, mm-hmm. while still being charming, which yeah. is really hard to pull off. Delightfully curmudgeonly. Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to say that I think when they're using the word romantic, at least if I'm extrapolating from the show or interpolating from the show, that it doesn't always have to mean like you're walking around with a rose in your <laughs> teeth and you're super suave. It can also mean that you're nostalgic for the, the classics and the past and his like archaeology and Shakespeare and acting and like ships and bottles. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think by that can be a romantic sensibility without like that you're going around like being a more of like a my God, what's the word? I'm Casanova. <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen those robes? <laughs> but my choice is not as I would say outstanding as Sue's, but I was like, hey, could we find someone who actually had a non-embarrassing French accent and uh, decided that maybe Catherine Deneuve could work? Ooh. Oh, yeah, I thought of her, too. She's, like, a couple years younger than Patrick Stewart. Speaking of sensual. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I mean, just personally, I think it would be rad if they also let the captain, who is a woman, be bald. 
Don't think that would actually happen without the actor being bald, but just just going to put a plug out there. This is our fantasy. This is the t- story that we get to weave as we want it. Yeah, because I think like there's that statement that I think Gene Roddenberry said about how like uh, you know after he got over the fact that he didn't want the captain to be bald, he got he made the statement about how like no one should really care about this mm-hmm. in the 24th century. So agreed, mm-hmm. regardless of gender. Well, I decided that if the actual casting of the show chose to disregard the actual Frenchness thing, then so would I. And I went with an English actor, one who made a really big name for herself as a Shakespearean actress and who has incredible dramatic chops and then around in the 80s and 90s was making a name for herself doing uh, British comedy shows. And I went with the Dame Judi Dench because I love me some Judi Dench and I feel like she's able to command attention in a very um, captain-like way that I would love to see. And again, one of those things where if you're looking at Shakespearean acting skill, it does I'm not I can't put the, my finger on it, but it's treated differently with male and female performers and I would like to see how she would do that take on the character because she can be very abrasive in her roles and I I love that and I love that when we first meet a uh, Picard he's pretty abrasive and I'd like to see the way she would do that and then have the character um kind of warm to the other characters around her over time. Judy Dench was one of the picks on our Facebook page as well. Great minds. Great minds. Some of the others was Helen Mirren. Yeah, she was one of mine too, but then I realized she'd be too young at the time. And Glenn Close. Ooh, Glenn mm. Close. Another actress who would be a good choice for any role. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I have a feeling the people we choose mm-hmm. are could be like... I don't know about the caliber of actors y'all chose, but. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure they would bankrupt Star Trek The Next Generation, but yes. oh, yeah. that's why this is a fantasy. <laughs> I felt like I could go big on the lead and then the rest of the time have a little a little in, more. Mo- in, in your budget. Moderation, your- yeah. <laughs> well, and some of these people had the same background as Patrick Stewart or, you know, we're not already like. You know, the people that would be really, really hard to get were the people that were starring in other TV shows that were more successful or more mainstream, like, you know, casting people from like Seinfeld or something. That would be a really weird choice there, Jira. And I really want us to deep dive into that. <laughs> well, I don't know. Jason Alexander as like Wolf's mom. <laughs> I don't know, but... Oh my gosh. Thinking like those were like the highest paid people in show business at the time. So some of our people that had more of like a stage career might still have been willing to make the choice that Patrick Stewart didn't been like, I will trade this in for a paycheck. Mm -hmm. As one has to sometimes. Cool. Well, shall we go on to Riker? Let's do a number one. Sue, what does the casting notice say about number one? So I won't read the whole thing. But he is a 30 to 35-year-old Caucasian born in Alaska. He is a pleasant-looking man with sex appeal, of medium height, very agile and strong, a natural psychologist. Oh, okay. Number one, as he is usually called, is second in command of the Enterprise and has a strong, solid relationship with the captain. So they they biffed on on medium height. Yeah. (laughs) But that's okay. I chose Sigourney Weaver. Ooh. Same. I just feel like this one's a no-brainer for me. <laughs> I wanted someone who had, who was sexy, right? And had that twinkle, but was also bold and tough. 
And so I went with Sigourney Weaver. Hmm. I, I shot a little young on this one, I'll admit it, but she was doing acting in the 80s and the 90s. So I went with Marissa Tomei. Oh, interesting. She's beautiful. She's charismatic. She's an excellent actress with range. And she genuinely has a very strong likability appeal that is kind of hard to find and kind of is the selling point for a character who's supposed to be who's supposed to be a bit of a player the way Riker is. I like it. Yeah. And I like Marissa Tomei. Who doesn't? I, I tried to go for some of the people that were guest stars and like tried to elevate them into some of these roles. So I actually went with Elizabeth Dennehy, who played Shelby, because I think she could have been a pretty kick-ass first officer. And she showed that in Best of Both Worlds. So why not? I don't know that she has quite the like sexy presence that Riker was oozing in season one, but I think she probably could have pulled it out if she had more screen time. So I actually have a secondary pick. Ooh. Yep. Um, which I expect her to come up for a different character in the future, but my my secondary is Bibi Newworth. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. She often in TV roles, and she said this herself, would get cast in like buttoned up very conservative roles for television. Lilith. Yes, like Lilith. But on stage, she was like the sex pot Mm -hmm. in every Broadway show she ever did. So I think that she could certainly play a very different kind of Riker. And it it could be very interesting. Now, but like, what, what is a Riker oozing sexuality like in season one? How is that going to affect this character if a woman is cast? How's that going to change how we see it? A woman character, yeah. Like, I remember when, and this was uh, several years later, when Allie McBeal started, and that is sort of, and like around, you know, Sex and the City and Allie McBeal were some of those shows that were like really starting to make headlines for like, it's okay for women on TV to be promiscuous. But I don't think that was super, uh, it was like, even at the time, it was within a very specific mold. And it was very much a show for women. And they were still seen as scandalous. Yeah. When Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries came out, that was the one main complaint I kept hearing people have about it. They're like, oh, she's great, but why does she have to sleep around so much? Mm-hmm. Also, if you look at it, Troy Troy has a sexual life, right? Mm-hmm. But in each of them, they're not shown as like just sex. It's, you know, she falls in love is yeah. the idea. Whereas Riker is like, nudge nudge wink wink Mm -hmm. hey let's have some fun and that's a totally different thing yeah when we're talking about how people are perceiving them yeah we've definitely talked about that double standard before in the normal show and the way that troy kind of you know ends up paying for a lot of these decisions too Mm -hmm. and that Riker is able to just you know have some nice ethical consensual sex and move on and no one really mentions it again unless he brings his random virus back to the enterprise and it just destroys everything yeah although people still don't don't make him really pay for that though no yeah no one at the end is like oh my god Riker, why couldn't you keep it in your pants you biffed it man (laughs) but actually that reminds me another good choice for Riker, who i think would be michelle forbes oh yeah I could really see that. While I'm swapping people around (laughs) the the same show. And uh, yeah, I think she certainly could play the multiple sides of Riker. And I don't know that it super would have flown with the studios and the audience at the time, but 
I think it would have been awesome. And if you've seen True Blood, you know she can do sexy. Yep. All right. So these characters, other than like I put Picard and Riker kind of in order, and then there's there's no real other order after this. So let's move on to probably, I was like, we should should alternate some genders in here. So let's move on to Crusher. Doctor. Doctor Crusher, not Wesley Crusher. I had so much trouble with this one. <laughs> I know, right? Actually, I had a really hard time with both the women. We've talked about before how the the women on Next Gen are very gendered. Oh, very, definitely. Like super given super feminine qualities. The <laughs> I'm I'm going to read you this sentence that has bugged me since I first saw it in the early 90s. Join us and cringe <laughs> with us. Okay, the first two sentences are fine. Wesley's 35-year-old mother. She serves as the chief medical officer on the starship. Here we go. If it were not for her intelligence, personality, beauty, and the fact that she has the natural walk of a striptease queen, Captain Picard might not have agreed to her request that Wesley observe bridge activities. No. Ah, hmm. So this is going to make my choice even funnier. (laughs) It's going to make every choice pretty great, I think. Okay, but I really, this was the one. I I came up with nothing. And in the end, I just was like, Alan all the (laughs) time. You're like, he can play a doctor, a caring person. Yes! (laughs) Does he have the natural walk of a striptease queen? I think he could do it. Yeah, I can see it. Honestly, I was like, Alan Alda's too old for this. Why am I putting Alan Alda? It's literally Because he wants to. (laughs) Yeah, and in the end, I was just like, you know what? I want Alan Alda. So (laughs) screw you guys for putting it down. And now, like, no. (laughs) But literally, I wrote Alan Alda, and then I crossed it out. And I was like, can't do Alan Alda. That doesn't fit at all. And then I couldn't think of anything else. So I just rewrote Alan Alda. Just like anyone who played a doctor. Just like George Clooney. (laughs) (laughs) Neil Patrick Harris, but older. (laughs) (sighs) Neil Patrick Harris, but younger. Well, but at this time, he was (laughs) really pretty young. Oh, that would make him having a kid really weird. <laughs> it's just uh, fetus and pH <laughs> and his teenage son. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyways, yes, gosh. sorry. I, I kind of stand by it because it's Alan Alda and who doesn't love Alan Alda, but also no. <laughs> my first pick for Crusher was Chris Noth from, again, Sex in the City and... ER, NYPD Blue, The Good Wife. I probably got a couple of those wrong, actually. But mostly I put him in there because I thought that there was an intrinsic connection between the characters of Beverly Crusher on TNG and Mr. Big on Sex and the City in that their love interests can't seem to commit to them, not because of the actual character, but because the writers don't seem to want to commit to them having a main love interest. <laughs> I have been trying to shoehorn as many Law & Order actors into this <laughs> list as possible. Law & Order, that's what I meant, not NYPD Blue. Crud. Anyway, so I, I considered him just for that bond, but then I decided on another one that I think works even better with the intelligence, personality, beauty, and natural walk of a striptease queen, and that would be Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> because let's face it, anytime Pierce Brosnan is a love interest character, he's absolutely freaking precious. 
<laughs> that is great. Yeah. So I actually picked someone from NYPD Blue. Ah! Who is Jimmy Smith. Ooh! Oh, yeah. And sort of the the rule that I was giving myself in this was that I can add people of color, but I can't take away people of color or, like, change... Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't make LaForge white in this casting right. thing, but I was totally cool adding more people of color. So I think that Jimmy Smith's certainly in history has shown the ability to carry both like a caring parent role as well as a sort of kick-ass role. Like, yes, I will heal these terrorists and will wield the phaser when necessary. And uh, yeah, so I, I think... I think that it would work. I mean, it's no Alan Alda, but... <laughs> <laughs> but now we all have to take a minute here and collectively close our eyes and imagine our picks and if they have the natural walk of a striptease queen. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, Alan could do it. I think that my pick was probably a bit young. Was it Neil Patrick It Harris? is not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I tried to think about the, Was like, it Will Wheaton? No. Because that would have been real weird. I tried to think of Crusher's caring and nurturing sort of qualities. Somebody who would be a good single dad, maybe. And I kept coming back to Matthew Broderick. Oh, that, that could be fun. Yeah. When you said single dad, I was like, Bob Saget. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't say Bob Saget. <laughs> that would have been... Just very awkward, wouldn't it? I think that's awesome. So the difference is, I feel like they would have given the, the single dad more parenting homework. I mean, I would they hope gave so. Beverly. Yeah, probably. All those scenes with Picard and Riker could be between Crusher <laughs> and her, his daughter. Yeah, sadly. And plus, I feel like the whole like teenage daughter and single dad thing is a dynamic that Hollywood's comfortable with. It can go wrong pretty easily, though. It can mm-hmm. it can get really cheesy real fast. But it can also be done well. But, like, think of even all the teenage daughter and pseudo-dad relationships we get. That's true, yeah. Should should we skip ahead to Wesley Crusher since that relationship is important, since we're talking about this? Yes, because I'm actually proud of my choice for Wesley. I, I mean, I'm not ashamed of you, Alan. Don't take that that way. We're proud of you. Danica McKellar. Ooh. Oh. That was totally my choice, too. What? Woo. See, I the second I thought of her, I was like, well, that I don't have to do any more thinking about that. She's really, really smart. She's got a degree in math from UCLA, but she's also got like that, I don't know, ingenue quality, like that young, curious, sweet thing that I feel like Will Wheaton has with the big doe eyes, you know? That's a great one. I feel like if we had this single dad and daughter relationship, there would be... I would be afraid for Star Trek to fall into the trope of, like, Dad, when can I start dating? Not yeah. till you're 30. Yeah. Like, which, you know, fortunately did not happen on Next Gen. But, I, I mean, I'd like to think that they would have not rested on that. But, I mean, it still was the late 80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. Do you really think that Wesley Crusher as Lady Wesley Crusher would have saved the ship so many times? Uh, we gotta wonder. I mean, the character was originally created as Leslie Crusher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I agree that it may have been, I mean, it's possible the actor would have gotten even more flack than Will Wheaton did. Can you imagine? (laughs) Like, oh, the original Mary Sue. Yeah. Kind of (laughs) stuff like that, which would have been annoying. If it had been the exact dynamic of TNG, then 
what it would have been like when that character wanted to start dating is that they would have been mentored by all the awesome women leading the ship Mm -hmm. and just not really talked with her dad. And the possibilities. (laughs) Was there anyone, any other suggestions for Wesley? I thought I went with a pretty obvious one and I picked Ashley Judd. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because, you know, she's bas- she play- basically plays a girl foil to Wesley, so I feel like she could slide into that role real easy. Definitely. I can't really do better than Danica McKellar. <laughs> I did also consider Alyssa Milano. She'd be my second choice mm-hmm. for if I couldn't get Danica McKellar. Yeah, I thought of her too, but... <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that stood out to me from the casting notice for Wesley, and this is one where it was for Wesley and not for Leslie, is that... Wesley is more of an intense, not cute teenager whose energy comes from an inquisitive nature. Okay, but then they cast Will Wheaton. (laughs) Will Wheaton at that time was basically Bambi. Yeah. (laughs) Bambi in a giant cable knit sweater. Yeah, 100%. Do you think Will Wheaton's ever going to hear our show and hear that and be like, screw you guys, I'm hardcore! (laughs) I'm pretty sure he knows he was Bambi. Yeah. I think he knows. I would hope he you does by he this will. point. I mean, that was the whole thing. Like, Stand By Me was him being Bambi. He knows he was a teen heartthrob. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> His stories about him being in Teen Beat are so funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to Data. Oh, my gosh. So this is where I feel that, like, Next Gen could have really been forward thinking but it was the 80s, right? <laughs> this was this was on nobody's radar. But I think Data being a character who explores humanity is the perfect, I don't want to say canvas, is the perfect character to play with gender and to play with expression and to play with pronouns and different names. And mm-hmm. because they're trying to learn everything they possibly can, right? As we talked about in the opening, there, I mean, I don't know of any non-binary actors from the late 80s. So how they would have cast this, I don't have a recommendation for that. But it, just think about if they had been able to introduce those kinds of ideas without making it a joke or without making it transphobic at that time, like that could have opened the door for, for so many people. And Star Trek has done that plenty of times where they don't even realize the writers, that they have created an allegory for something that's not even on their radar. Yeah, I think that you'd have to be really careful that you didn't have, like, the data needs to learn gender Mm -hmm. storyline, that it was more of, you know, something that expanded the minds of the crew around them versus something that was, a you know, an, an evidence of the lack of humanity. But I agree that there was a lot of potential there. And I think we saw that a bit more in the outcast with the whole, you know, thing where Law gets to pick their gender. The offspring. Sorry, the offspring. Thank you. An O episode. (laughs) (laughs) And so there was definitely some unexplored potential there. Whether they could have executed it well, I'm not sure. Um, The other thing I noticed in the casting notice, it says, Data should have exotic features and can be any one of the following racial groups. Asian, American Indian, East Indian, South American Indian, or similar racial groups. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Which I feel like, again, could indicate open-mindedness, or it could indicate we want this person to look, quote-unquote, like, strange or other exoticized. It just, it literally says exotic features. Yeah. He also should, quote, appear very intelligent. How do you appear intelligent? I think it's all about raising your eyebrows. Okay, that'll do (laughs) it. Touching your head slightly. That. That really sets the tone for my pick, then. 
Which is great. And I'm a little sad because she already got mentioned for a different role earlier, but I also went with a BB New Earth pick, but she's my data here. So did I. I knew it. Because she's already super pale, which is going to save them so much on makeup. I called it. I knew it. <laughs> she's got cheekbones for days, so she all, she doesn't look exactly exotic, but she looks striking. And she's very good at being kind of uncanny and unsettling, which, you know, applies well if you're a robot. I would love to have... She's also very slight. Like, yes. she's short and very thin. And there are plenty of times in the show where, you know, Data's strength comes into play. Yeah. And I, I would love to see... You know, what, five foot two, B.B. Newworth, like, <laughs> lifting a car on the holodeck, you know? That would be amazing. My choice was Glenn Close. Ooh. I just think that she can be so intense and analytical and curious. Those were the qualities that I see for Data. We did get an interesting comment on our Facebook about Data specifically uh, from uh, Madeline, who said, if the show was made today, I would love to have a female Data, but given the time it was created, I'm actually relieved they had a man in the part. Given the standards they had for women in the cast, I can only imagine the kind of cringy scenes where people teach Data how to be beautiful and feminine. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Which kind of goes along to some of your concerns, Sue. Mm-hmm. Like having them perf- need to teach how to perform gender. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So next on the list, I have LaForge. Oh, man, this casting call. Oh, God. Oh, no. I'll, I'll read everything I have just so, you- so everyone can see how quickly it goes south. Yeah. <laughs> Lieutenant Jordy LaForge, a 20 to 25 year old black man, blind from birth. With the help of a special prosthetic device he wears, his vision far surpasses anything the human eye can see. Although he is young, he is quite mature and his and is best friends with Data. Please do not submit any street types, as Jordy has perfect diction and might even have a Jamaican oh, accent. Oh boy! Should also do comedy well. Oh wow! No. Oh wow! Yeah, we don't have time to unpack all that. <laughs> <laughs> That's disappointing i mean yeah i mean did they feel the need to on their riker caucasian man from alaska which there are no caucus mountains in alaska but whatever did they feel the need to point out that he shouldn't be street and needs good diction nope Hmm. no Hmm. good lord Okay, so we're just going to ignore that. Also, there's uh, the scuttlebutt is that at one point, one of the people in talks for the role of Geordie was Wesley Snipes. Yeah, that is true. So mm-hmm. that's making me think and wonder things. Hmm. Mm. Well, does anyone have any thoughts on like how this character would change or how it would be received differently if it was a woman? I think it actually would probably, other than you probably hopefully wouldn't have had so many Geordie creeps on random dudes storylines. I mean, God willing. Uh, but if if this if this Jordy had the same types of romantic trouble, mm-hmm. I'd be afraid of like, well, you just need to like take your glasses off and do your hair. She can't. She needs those to see. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> like they they're gonna like Princess Diaries her, right? Oh no, <laughs> no. But um, no, Jordy is like for in in my opinion anyway. Jordy is is like the eyes of the audience. He's the most casual of the crew. In the show that we have, he uses a lot of plain English and colloquialisms. And I think it's sort of like a bridge from, from 
the audience watching to the 24th century mm-hmm. and just is very chill. And I think even of our male characters, I think Jordy's is the least gendered role. So I don't think that there would be a lot of pushback from having a, a woman in that role. And the one I wrote down is Gina Torres. Ooh. I, I was thinking about Gina Torres for a couple of roles. She's just so statuesque. Mm. Was she, uh, what was she doing around this time? Trying to break. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I think, a great choice. I uh, actually picked uh, Penny Johnson. Now Penny Johnson Gerald, because I'm stealing people from other Star Trek series now. <laughs> and the Orville. But... She would have been a couple years younger than LeVar Burton, but still in that 20 to 25 bracket. And I think could have, you know, played the more kind of dorky engineering side of things more than we saw in uh, like the role of Cassidy. But I think had the ability to take on that role and also be just, you know, the the fun Data's BFF, like B.B. Newirth and Penny Johnson. Yeah, I'd watch it. I chose Regina King. Oh, that'd be awesome. Mm. I mean, I just feel like Regina King can do anything. So, like, she can do anything. And I want her in everything. She's amazing. And then, also, I would just I just really want Regina King in Star Trek. Yeah. And more sci-fi in general, because she crushed it in Watchmen. And, yeah. So, I chose Regina King. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, she's so good. I went for... um someone who was on TV at the time, I went for Lisa Bonet because A, she's fabulous. B, I feel like a lot of the roles she's known for, specifically on the Cosby show in A Different World, she's kind of a character as a, look, Any this is something that Black people do. Black people live in nice houses and have parents who are doctors. Black people also go to college, stuff like that. So I feel like that would be cool to see her also be as an extension like a yeah not only are black people in space there are black disabled people in space how freaking cool is that that is cool i definitely considered her but i had a bit of a qualm because she's made some like anti-vax statements yeah more recently yeah. but at the time we would not have known that also there's probably something to dig into in terms of talking about respectability in black acting roles in the ones she's known for with the cosby show in a different world and talking about how please do not submit any street types there is something mm-hmm. we can dig into there but i do not feel qualified to dig into that colorism Mm -hmm. as well yes that is definitely as well but we also know she can do comedy well yeah she can yeah no she would totally nail that role okay uh is that it for laforge i think that's la done it okay let's take take it away with troy who according to her character uh casting is quote probably foreign With uh, looks and accent oh, to match. Oh no! <laughs> oh, we we all we all know the thing about how they had like Marina audition for Yar and Denise audition for Troy. So we won't like recap that, but they don't necessarily have the person doesn't have to look like Greek. I also struggled with Troy, and in the end, I went with Stellan Skarsgård. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's very teddy bearish. I feel like he would be very empathetic. I feel like he would he would listen to your problems and like feel about them. Are you ready? Oh, yes. Tom Selleck. Ah Is now is he wearing Hawaiian shirts? I mean, he doesn't have to wear the uniform, so why not? He's wearing Troy's <laughs> like unitard, but 
with the pattern of a Hawaiian shirt on. <laughs> okay. So we're going back in time and fixing this, right? And it's Tom Selleck. Now we're coming to future discourse and people are discussing about how happy they are that he finally started wearing a uniform and how more professional he seemed as soon as he started wearing a uniform instead of his colorful Hawaiian shirts. Uh-huh. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I would uh, totally go with The Rock. <laughs> Explain yourself. I am curious. I mean, have you looked into The Rock's eyes and felt like he felt everything you were feeling? (laughs) That's true. And I mean, touche. That was really all I was going on. Also, that he he could definitely pull off the deep decolletage. Yes, he does have the cleavage. Also, I really couldn't think of anyone. (laughs) So I was like, why not? I went very far away choice from that. I went with Kyle MacLachlan. Oh, okay. You really liked the Sex in the City actors. That was completely unintentional, actually. <laughs> well, Kyle McLaughlin also is very pretty, like yes. Troy. He also is very good at doing the I have deep knowledge, the likes of which you can't understand, Maudib shtick, which I feel like would translate over to Troy pretty well. And now I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Kyle McLaughlin paired with any of our Troy picks. And I'm just gonna gonna linger on that for a minute in my mind. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Also just just put Kyle McLaughlin back in space. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Poor Troy. Poor Troy. I just they really mm, they didn't give her much to work with in that casting notice. They really didn't. <sighs> we'll say this about a commonality between Kyle McLaughlin and Counselor Deanna Troy. I have a weird, innate desire to protect both of them. You know? <laughs> I feel like they would have had to, or they would have felt they had to play up the alienness more to get away with having a man who's so emotional. He's also mm. played a bunch of aliens, so there's at least, well, at least two. At least two aliens. <laughs> I mean, for Hollywood, that is a bunch of aliens. Yeah. And he's very good at it, too. There's also the fact that so many of Troy's storylines are about violation, about essentially psychic rape. Yeah. Yeah. And how, if they kept those storylines, how would they have dealt with a a male victim? The child would be even worse. <laughs> Knowing what we know about TV in the 90s and the landscape of the discussion of rape culture, they probably wouldn't have done that with a male character. No, no. I think that they would have probably leaned into queer coding. Definitely. um, Which would have been super problematic. I think, I mean, Troy is a problematic character, but I think almost anything that they could have done realistically, given the influences and the time, would have made it probably more problematic. I think casting an actor who is seen as, like, really masculine could have offset it a little bit and made it maybe cooler that there's hey there's a man who has feelings i would tell wow i'm feeling to kyle mclaughlin (laughs) me too yeah i like your pick thank you (laughs) i like it too (laughs) so let's move on to Worf, who is someone i had a really really hard time with i don't know if anyone had any good good Worf picks angela bassett (gasps) ah that was one of mine (laughs) (sighs) angela bassett so all of mine are young but I'm too young. But I was thinking uh, Tracy Ellis Ross. 
Ooh. Oh, yeah. And yeah. also Lark Voorhees, who was Lisa Turtle on Saved by the Bell. Oh, I know who Lark Voorhees is. <laughs> Lisa Turtle with a bad laugh! <laughs> That'd be pretty great. Yep. Worf is one of the characters we don't, or at least I couldn't find a casting summary for. Yeah. But, I mean, we know first Klingon in Starfleet, kind of literal, <laughs> you know, looking for a fight. Let's see, what did I put down for Worf? I said strong and rigid. I feel like his rigidity is part of his arc. Like he has to learn to soften. For Angela Bassett, this is again, we went back to a lot of these actors that we've chosen are like top actors. Mm -hmm. And like, you really could give them anything. Angela Bassett's one of those actors. But I really feel like she could add some warmth and emotion to this like really tough journey that Worf goes on and I would love to see that yeah and I feel like we kind of do know how Trek would have handled a lady Worf because we kind of got it in Balana a little bit mm-hmm. yeah a couple years later but yeah I think that the alienness of the character would sort of protect her from gender some gender criticisms if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I've always found it interesting the way they handle women Klingons anyway. Yeah. Kind, they kind of don't know if they want to make them really, like, aggressive and scary or, like, oh, but they can't have political power. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I can't think of a single Klingon woman that we've seen that would, like, be cool with the fact that they don't have political power. Mm-hmm. And yet we're supposed to believe that, like, their entire race has – that has how it's been, like, forever. Okay. Anyways. Also, pretty much all the ones that were coming to my mind when I was thinking through who played Klingon women were all white. Um, yes. Which is not necessarily, you know, I mean, clearly Star Trek has cast actors of various races as Klingons and has, uh, you know, back in the day, like, brown-faced them, mm-hmm. which was not cool. The only oh, a woman of color I can think of is Gabrielle Union, who played kind of a background mm-hmm. Klingon in one episode. Yeah, and she, I don't think, would be old enough at this no. point to be war. No. And yeah, so it's challenging if you want to, like, maintain some diversity among the cast members, even though I think there are different ways to read Klingonness connected to human races and what was being inscribed on the characters. I definitely think that they're coded black in a lot of ways. But in the very early TOS times, they were also coded a little bit Asian. Yeah. So it kind of gets... And then Worf being the kind of face of Klingons Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, and him being a black man, I think, changed how people viewed them. Yeah. But it's an interesting kind of wrinkle when it comes to sci-fi casting of actors of color or white actors playing different alien races that are coded a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So the only other main character we have is Yar, even though she was only a main character for part of a season. I felt like we should pick one for her. And then we're going to just throw it open for if anyone has any nominees for recurring guest characters like Pulaski, Q, Guinan, Roe, Barkley, etc. But let's uh, get through Yar first. Lieutenant Tanya Hernandez. Yeah. That's when this is from. 26-year-old woman of Ukrainian descent who serves as the Starship Security Chief. She is described as having a new quality of conditioned body beauty 
a fire in her eyes, and a muscularly well-developed and very female body, but keeping in mind that much of her strength comes from attitude. Okay, who wrote these? I do remember reading about how at one point their idea behind the character who would be Tasha Yar was initially pretty much Vasquez from Aliens, uh, who unfortunately is not actually Hispanic, the actress. she The, the role's great, but she is not in fact Hispanic. She is in brown face, essentially. So that's the background on that, which is fun knowledge you can't unlearn. <laughs> <laughs> what about Frakes? Oh. Frakes is ER. Uh, okay. But would we describe him as having the new quality of a conditioned body beauty? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Did you see Angel One? Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's just the, all of these descriptions are like, don't forget they're hot. Remember the ladies have to be hot. Yeah. Gotta be hot. She's muscular, but, but still she's hot. hot. <laughs> and this this character would change li- like very few expectations because it was the most gender non-conforming character of TNG. Yeah. So I don't think that it would uh, change anything really uh, for it to be a guy. They're describing her like a gym bunny. Uh, so I I chose Dolph Lundgren. Ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my god, that would mean we have to go back and make Grace Jones wharf. I was thinking that, literally thinking that, as I was like, hearing that description, I was like, they should have just cast Grace Jones. <sighs> Except for the fact that I don't really love the way that black actors, women actors, ha- face like this like masculinizing kind of influence Mm -hmm. but yes Dolph Lundgren and Grace Jones together in Star Trek hell yeah (sighs) how about Doug Jones I could see it that was like that Billy the Butcher time (laughs) like that era Mm. I went I went with one that I think actually works pretty well is the beautiful but with a fire in her eyes thing and I went with young George Clooney (laughs) nice i'm cool with it yeah i think it could work all right recurring guest stars who wants to start okay so this one got pulled up already in another one but i thought q a character who is ageless but whose judgment we are submitted to and that just screamed b arthur to me (laughs) (laughs) and i thought it was pretty perfect so that was one that i I will fight yeah. on the mountaintop for. <laughs> Another one I had that I really liked was uh, for Guinan. I had Keith David, who I think is amazing and has incredible gravitas when he wants to in a performance, but also also already kind of has a name for himself in the world of sci-fi. And he, the dude does a good mentor character so well. <laughs> and the other one that I really wanted to make sure I got in was for Barclay. I had Beth Grant, who is definitely one of the underappreciated character actors of our time. And I'm not just saying that because now we know her daughter, Mary. <laughs> Wait, sorry, who was Beth Grant? Like, what was she? Donnie in? Darko, Speed, Speed. Oh, Little Miss you. Sunshine. Name, names are not my strong suit. I love her in Speed. She's so good. Look her up and you will recognize a million Oh, it's her roles that you love her for. Mm-hmm. And I think she could do a really good Barclay, and I would love to see that. For Guinan, I had, and I, you know, I said the thing about Law and Order, and then I haven't said any Law and Order people. So uh, <laughs> I had Richard Brooks, who was one of the DAs in like the first couple seasons of Law and Order, and I think has a strong 
kind of sensitivity in his acting that I think could have worked pretty well for Guinan. So I think Pulaski is where you put Alan Alda. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I also have Alan Alda yep. for Pulaski. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I just really want Alan Alda to be a Star Trek doctor. I mean, yeah. My, my Guinan, Ben Vereen. Oh, yeah. My, yeah. my Q, this might be a little out of left field, Cheetah Rivera. Ah. Nice. That's awesome. Ah. And I don't have a casting for Barkley, but I do just want to say that I would have loved to see an anxious woman character on next gen although mm-hmm. again would they have played that like they played hoshi who is just like afraid and needs to get over it mm-hmm. yeah so mm. i mean pulaski i'm like why do you not just have deforest kelly <laughs> <laughs> i do think i just had a brilliant pulaski idea though yes richard belzer <laughs> Uh, yes you would i was be gonna say De- dennis farina oh, yeah. oh pulling more from the crime shows too oh. but also my cue was joan collins oh i love that you'd have to forget she was edith keeler but like pulaski you had to forget she was also two other characters already <laughs> so i feel like we're allowed and i think by this time like she she would have had the sass the q sass for sure mm-hmm. oh yeah i didn't have anyone for row but Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, sure. Frakes is <laughs> our just go-to plug-in dude now, isn't or he? Ted Danson. Yes! <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, not David Duchovny, not <laughs> Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula, maybe. Maybe Bakula. I could back Bakula. I was thinking of maybe, uh, I don't know, what about like, okay, this is maybe a terrible choice, but like, what about Juliana Margulies for Barkley? I don't know. Maybe? no. Like, I'm not seeing that she's ever played anything like that. No. She probably but, has the range, but yeah, like I don't think she's had a, a similar character. Yeah, it would definitely be a stretch, yeah. so it, it's not anything that would be... But that would, I think, maybe make it less of, like, a Hoshi, kind of, like, afraid of yeah. everything character. If you had someone that had a little bit more gravitas. Well, anyway, there's some random choices. <laughs> You could, if you had Susie Plaxon as Barkley, she could definitely do it. It just might come across as f- more humorous. Yeah. Although Barkley's supposed to be a funny character, yeah. that's true. I'm just trying to think again. Like, are there any other changes that have changing the gender would mean for those characters? I think Guinan would be challenging because it is like a very gendered kind of trope heavy character of like sort of an you know, wise mother figure and mystical black woman figure, but with the right actor, maybe. I want to point out that one of our Facebook commenters, Trisha, said Odin Fair as Troy, which is better than anything I came up with for Troy. That's really good. I know. I was jealous. I was like, dang you. How did you think of that before I thought of that? Okay, so did anyone else go through the problem of going through the character list and then just mentally go through which which roles we could cast Jeffrey Combs in? <laughs> yeah. Because I definitely thought about that. Uh, we also had a Facebook commenter mention the idea of a gender-fluid Riker, mm-hmm. which I think yeah. would be super interesting, especially like all those early seasons traits that we, we discussed with Riker. But like, again, not... Something on anyone's radar in Hollywood in 1987, unfortunately. I mean, given what happened with the outcast and that they wouldn't even cast a same-sex actor for that role, Mm -hmm. shows like they weren't really open-minded enough for that at the time. 
But I think I agree that would be a really great character to change to a gender fluid character. That said, I do also stand by the concept of pansexual Riker. Mm-hmm, One of sure. us. One of us. <laughs> One of us. I just knocked something off my desk pounding on it. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for your input in our discussion on Facebook. And uh, if you want to get a really big head start on the next one we'll do, which will, I assume, be Deep Space Nine at some point, then oh, yeah. uh, shoot us a message. You can get in touch with us at crewofwomenatwarp.com or... You can visit womenatwarp.com, our website, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. And yeah, so let's uh, wrap up then. Andy, where can people find you on the internet? Easiest place to find me is Twitter at First Time Trek. And Sue? You can find me on Twitter as Spaltor, S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And Grace? You can find me on Twitter at Bonecrusher Jank and constantly refreshing IMDB to make sure I got actors' names right. <laughs> and I'm Jerry. You can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin and still trying to figure out the perfect role for Jeffrey Combs other than the many he has already played. What if he was Roe? To- <laughs> I'm going to bleep that. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for listening. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Podcast.roddenberry.com.